Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of We Should Talk, a pop culture interview series from In The Know. I'm your host, Gibson Johns, and this week on the podcast, we have Mariah Smith, who is a writer, TV writer, and host of a new podcast called Spectacle, which each week she tackles a different reality show from over the years and kind of does a big deep dive on it, brings experts on, and ties it back to why it's, you know, it's importance in society and why we as a society, you know, like that show. What, what does it reflect about us? So she tackles the real world and The Bachelor and Real Housewives and a bunch of other really culturally critical shows. So it was really fun to have her on as, as a fellow reality TV, reality TV buff, you know, I asked her all things about The Bachelor, Real Housewives, diversity on a lot of these shows. We talked a lot about keeping up with the Kardashians because Mariah had a really successful column for a while for the cut called Keeping Up With The Continuity Errors, where she would take each week's episode of Keeping Up With The Kardashians and show you all the different ways that its continuity errors like showed themselves because they filmed things out of order on that show and try to pass them off as it being chronological. So that was really fun for a while. And that's how I was first sort of introduced to her work. So to have her on felt like a little bit of a full circle thing. And I just loved hearing her thoughts from, from, again, from a fellow reality TV buff. Like she is such an expert on these things and she had some really poignant things to say and some great perspective on a lot of these shows. So keep listening for that interview. But before we get to that, you know, this is one of those weeks where you know, similarly to that Britney documentary a couple weeks ago, there's just one thing that is dominating every headline. It is dominating every thought of mine. It is everywhere if you go on the internet this week, and that is Oprah's sit down with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Its effects are already being felt across the globe, and I don't think that that is overstating it. I think that this interview, you know, Z-Way tweeted that this interview is, is a watershed moment in world history, and I think on face value that that feels like an, uh, you know, overblowing its effects, but in reality, it really is a watershed moment. And, you know, the the British monarchy and the British Commonwealth are spread out all, of the, all over the world. And, and people look to this family uh, for like, a lot of guidance. And, and, you know, they talk about them a lot. And the things that Meghan and Harry talked about in this interview to, to come to light, you know, the royal family is going to be dealing with this. And it's going to be forced to change, hopefully, um, because of a lot of things they said. You know, as somebody who was working in entertainment news, for the first three to four years of Meghan and Harry's relationship, you know, that included their wedding, that included the birth of the first child, that included, you know, the reveal of their relationship to begin with. I'm very invested in in, in this story because I wrote about them, you know, on average probably like five times a week for three years, three to four years. Um, I, I woke up early to cover their wedding live. Um, I, you know, helped track this relationship um, during that job. And, you know, I think a lot of what I found is when I was covering a lot of these people generally for years, it endeared me more to them and it got me more on their side, even if kind of I started off maybe not being fully on their side. And so, so I really am team Megan, team Harry in this, but going into Sunday's interview, you know, I, I knew that they had to be specific. Because in the past, Harry and Meghan have alluded to a lot of mistreatment. They have alluded to bullying. They have condemned things. But it's always been in a pretty vague manner. It's always been in a pretty high-level manner. And I knew that to really sway public opinion, to really get people on their side who weren't already on their side, to really have people see what, what, what they went through, they had to be specific. And they had to give us specific instances of things that happened and conversations that happened and, and ways that, she, that Meghan was mistreated. And, and they did exactly that. And, and it, way more than I expected. You know, I want, I, I think they needed to have like one big bombshell coming out of this. Every segment of this interview for two hours had had a big bombshell. Even more than that, the next morning they released all these new exclusive clips on CBS This Morning, hosted by Gail King, Oprah's BFF. 
And some of those clips were were genuinely head make, headline making too. And so th- there's a lot, there's a lot, a lot, a lot to to kind of wade through from this, and for the royal family to really react to in this. And I think that speaks to one, Meghan's bravery, two, Harry's willingness to stand by her, and, and also you know his bravery, and three, and perhaps even most importantly, is is Oprah's skill as an interviewer. And you know it, it's it's there's there's clearly a reason why Oprah has been doing this for decades and decades, and she's interviewed some of the most famous talked about people for years and this interview displayed her masterful interview skills her follow-up questions were spot on and that's how we got some of these critical answers out of harry and megan because she wouldn't let things go and she kept pushing and i think obviously obviously there was going to be criticism about about how oprah handled the interview about how forthcoming harry and megan were people were always going to say that they were too vague that they weren't forthcoming enough that oprah didn't push them hard enough to for them to name names and things like that but at the end of the day, she actually got them to, to to spill a lot of stuff and to be pretty specific in a lot of instances. Obviously, there were some moments where they avoided naming names, particularly, I think, you know, most famously is this conversation that they said happened before Archie was born about what color his skin was going to be, which is despicable. And I can understand why they didn't want to name names in that scenario. But I think, you know, it's, it's not that hard to look at public opinion and see who they think spearheaded that conversation. You know, I think that... All in all, this interview resulted in so much truth coming to light. And again, if it, there was always going to be people that, that didn't believe them. You know, I would love if we could stop covering Piers Morgan and Megyn Kelly and all these other white people who are taking this interview and just completely spinning it on its head and, and dismissing, you know, all claims of racism and, and mistreatment by, by the first biracial member of the royal family. These people, like, have have no basis in, in, in their reason to to dismiss these things that they're saying. I'm so ready for these people to be deplatformed and for people to start to start ignoring them um, because all they want is a reaction. They want their reaction to elicit more reaction. I could have told you when they announced this interview that Oprah was doing that the next morning Piers Morgan was going to have some wildly sensationalist reaction to it. He hates Megan with a passion and we all know that that's no secret. So like, why are we pretending to be surprised of, of him being bigoted and, and taking these kind of really problematic hurtful reactions to this interview. But anyway, you know, again, like Megan and Harry were never going to fully win over everyone, but I think they did a pretty darn good job of, of convincing a lot of people that they genuinely were mistreated behind the scenes, that there is genuinely a race problem, not just in the royal family, not just in the firm, not just in the institution, but in, in Britain at large. And, you know, the media treatment itself is is, is all racially tinged and it's, it's really, it just needs to change. And I think that this is a big step forward for them. And I think even if a lot of this does not change over there, it has sparked something. And, you know, Megan and Harry have set up this great life for themselves in Montecito with their son. They have a, they have a daughter coming. I'm so, I'm so glad they're having a daughter. They're ha- they're, they seem happy and they seem settled and they seem okay to be far from this. You know, and, and there's, a lot, there's so much talk about, oh, they haven't even been back to, to visit and blah, 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 blah. Like, that's the queen's great-grandson and that's Charles's grandson. Like, how dare they take him away? Harry is not Meghan's prisoner. <laughs> Harry can make his own decisions. And he is clearly in this with Meghan. They made these decisions together. And so I'm so sick of the narrative of it being that Meghan, like, just dragged Harry by the feet and, like, put some voodoo spell over him to to change his mind about his allegiances to his family and all that. Like, no, like, this was clearly a Harry and Meghan decision together. They are decided themselves to, to not go back f- for right now. But also, it's a two-way street. People of the royal family can fly to California. You, it's not just you, you can't only fly from California to London. You can fly from London to California. 
I haven't seen anybody visit them, and there's obviously no criticism about that. It's a two-way street. So again, it's just sort of like this. I think there's there's people are always going to have their sides, especially people that, that live in England and are from Britain and kind of grew up around the royal family in a different way than Americans did. People are going to have opinions, and they're going to stick to them. But I do think they did a good job of, of convincing a lot of people um, to, to at least consider the, the alternative. And... Um, to perhaps be a little more balanced in, in their in their criticism and and um, opinion when it comes to them, because again, like the harshness of of that of that environment for so long clearly wore down on Megan in a heartbreaking and potentially what what could have been catastrophic way. So I'm so glad they avoided that, and um, you know I'm glad that they're setting up this new life for themselves, and I'm excited to see what comes next. I hope they rejoin Instagram. I can't wait to see what they do with Netflix um, and, and Spotify and all these things. So anyway, that's just my my long rambling thoughts on Meghan and Harry and that interview. I'm sure there's going to be more and more and more to come in the coming weeks about you know the palace hasn't responded yet as of recording this. Maybe more clips will come out. Uh, maybe, you know, they'll release another statement. Who knows? But I'm really just like, I'm, I'm pretty proud of them for for being so forthcoming and, and for really telling their truth in a, in a really honest and um, real way. So anyway, keep listening for my interview with Mariah Smith. And you can listen to her podcast, Spectacle, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to We Should Talk on Apple Podcasts or wherever you were listening to this. Enjoy, guys. All right, so we're here with Mariah Smith, the host of the new podcast, Spectacle. Mariah, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to be talking to you. Um, I, I just told you, I've been listening to Spectacle all morning. I listened to like the first three to four episodes, I want to say. And um, it's, I feel like the show is like made for me just as somebody who has watched like every single reality show under the sun. So thank you for your work. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I love to hear it. Thank you. Um, so, I mean, before we get super into, into, into Spectacle and kind of everything that that entails, I'd love for you to just kind of give us a rundown of who you are, what you do kind of outside outside of the show and what, what led you to hosting this. Yeah, so I am by trade, I guess, a writer, comedian and producer. Um, I created a column that runs on the cut called Keeping Up With The Continuity Errors that tracks the continuity errors and keeping up with the Kardashians. Um, I no longer do that, but it was a beautiful season in my life. And I write for television, most recently on Fox's Outmatched. And I fell into spectacle. I was reached out to by uh, Neon Hum Media because they knew the work I did and my interest in reality TV. And with talking to them, I realized it was a great fit for me as someone who is like, loves a good deep dive, loves reality TV, and loves to talk. It was the perfect <laughs> storm. Totally. So I I first encountered your work when you were doing Keeping Up With The Continuity Errors. And I feel like that, <laughs> to me, like that was such a unique angle to take on it on a show because we you know it was something that like I think to the untrained eye or just to like the casual viewer of a show like Keeping Up it was like they weren't gonna notice these things that you were calling out they weren't gonna like really connect the dots on, on what you were connecting the dots on and I'd love for you to just like you know talk to you about sort of like the conception of that uh separately because I don't know it, it just felt like such it's, it's fully its own thing. And it, it kind of had this cult following as, as a column. Yeah. So I started it. I was working as um, a production assistant on Best Week Ever, the reboot on VH1. And as a PA, we were assigned shows to watch. And my two shows were the Steve Harvey show and Keeping Up with the Kardashians. And the <laughs> Steve Harvey show like broke me as a human. But with Keeping Up, 
I was I watched the show before you know I had I was assigned to it for work but I was watching the show and then simultaneously I was sitting in tons of edits and I have always been one to like want to spot a lie like my parents would call me Harriet the Spy because I find out anything and everything that I'm not supposed to know amazing so I saw that and I was like talking to my friends one day and I'm like this is really bugging me there are so many continuity errors and keeping up like it's so glaringly obvious and I was like I just have to get it on paper so I as a joke to my friends I wrote this tumbler of all the continuity errors in one of the episodes and I was like okay five people are gonna read this that's what right. I, who I wrote it for and then by the end of the week like 10,000 people had read it and I had wow. to do it again so I was like <laughs> oh okay so I guess I'll keep doing there's that. an interest it here right viral. yeah so right that's the conceit of it you, you said you watched the show before you started writing this and for you like when when you're when you're a fan of something or you're just kind of like a viewer of something and then it turns into work I'm curious how that changes your your relationship to it so did that did the, when you started writing this and kind of really paying attention to all this did, did that change your relationship to the show or the Kardashian just as sort of like this entity it did in a way and I would say in a good way because like when I was watching it for work I was very focused on the task at hand yeah but then it became very fun to watch it after the fact and be like oh this is like fun to just like clean my house too basically it's like it's nice to totally. have on in the background <laughs> it became one of those types of shows for me so it did change it definitely because sometimes I'll be like okay I'm not working I why would I watch the Kardashians right now but other times I was like it is soothing in some sort of fascinating way so it did and it didn't Mm -hmm. and what do you make of the show coming to an end like do you do you think it's time what do you think we're going to get in the final season what what are your thoughts on on this huge kind of cultural moment ending I think that it is it it, it puts a nice pretty bow on such a long legacy of, of reality tv history um ending in season 20 I really think that with the Hulu deal coming out this obviously isn't the end of the Kardashians right um on our tv screens but I really think that it, it's sort of time for this season of their of their lives to end on E. Yeah, I think so too. I think I think it was sort of like it was serving its purpose until it wasn't, yeah, and then it was just sort exactly. of like why why are we still watching this and like contriving storylines for for what you know <laughs> for pranks? It's like yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. Spectacle is like, so I know you're going to talk about the Kardashians on this, on, on spectacle, but you're also kind of, mm -hmm. you're, you're going back to the beginning of reality TV. You're really tracing it from, from its inception and, and analyzing the history and its impact and, and kind of how it ties into the rest of culture. Talk to me about, about the conception of a spectacle and, 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 you know, how you chose what to include and what not to include kind of along the way. Yeah. So how we decided to figure out the shows is I have a one team at Neon Hum Media and my producer Joanna Clay is like a mastermind and she was really the heavyweight behind coming up with the run of shows basically but really we're looking at it chronologically in a way of where we started and where we are to up to this very moment and in the final episode we do something really interesting which I don't want to give away with one, one of the shows we cover and where reality TV is going but it really is a look at how did show one how did episode the show in episode one affect the show in episode two how did the show in episode two affect the show in episode right. three and that's 
sort of is how we build on each episode in each show. Yeah, and, and I think that's already clear from the beginning. There, there is this tie in between all of it. So I'm, I'm excited mm-hmm. to see where it goes. What was your yeah. personal? What was your personal sort of entree into reality TV? Just as as you know, as a kid. As a kid, I would say I was I watched too much MTV. So it was MTV Spring Break and Real World. Um, I remember watching like trying to sneak and watch Real World. I remember Real World World San Francisco and I think it was Steven who slapped that young woman across (laughs) the face outside on the street or whether it was like the Trishels and Anisas in Vegas, those were my entrees into reality TV. And when, when, so when you kind of are analyzing the real world now, you know, years later, and you're really kind of taking this different look at the show, how did that, how did that change sort of how you thought about the real world or or what, what was kind of, what were some of the big things that you learned just as sort of with a more advanced mind looking at it, what, how did your kind of mindset change? Yeah, it totally put things in perspective because like I hadn't seen episodes since I was like, you know, 10 basically. And I was really fascinated with, oh wow, these were fully formed humans who were coming in to do this early seasons, this experiment essentially of like, what is it truly like to put seven strangers in a house and see what happens? Um, and to see how real it really was for those seven, for the cast members and the episodes mm-hmm. uh, in the show, that shocked me because I watched it when I was younger, but then I grew up with more contrived reality TV storylines. And even though there were some contrived storylines in season one of uh, the real world, especially surrounding the character Julie, I do think that it shocked me with how real and relatable these people could be. Cause like they were my age that I am now going to live into this house. And it's something yeah. that blew my mind. And when you're 10, you think that you, you kind of, you, you picture them being like full fledged adults and like, like exactly. It, yeah. It's, that's, yeah. It's such a crazy, like just the way the exactly. time works. But uh, I'm also curious sort of like, and I don't know how much you're going to get into this on the show, but what do you kind of make of the role of the host on a reality show? Because I, and you know, there's obviously not all reality shows have hosts. And I think, you know, if you look at a show like Survivor, who's, which has had the same host for its entire run, if you look at, you know, a show like, same thing, same with like Amazing Race. And I, I think that on some of these shows, it's like the host plays a really pivotal and kind of pivotal role and also can sometimes honestly be the face of the show and in other times that's not the case and they kind of like fade into the background so I'm curious sort of what you think the role of the host is kind of on these shows and who who do you think are sort of the most effective ones from over the years I really think that like you mentioned the host is uh, becomes sort of the face of the show like for better or worse now in the climate we're in Chris Harrison is the face of the bachelor bachelorette and I, I think that they sometimes are the voice of reason and they speak for the audience. And like, I think a host that does that expertly is Jeff Probst, who right. I like didn't get into Survivor until this podcast. And I started watching a ton of Survivor um, and now I'm obsessed. But oh my I'm God, like, I'm oh so wow, glad. he really, <laughs> yes, it changed my life. I was like, where, what did I, why did I not watch this before? It's so good. And I'm like, he speaks how I would speak at the TV screen basically. And like he is right. our, he gives voice to the audience and makes you feel like, oh, okay, I'm not alone in thinking this. I'm not alone in thinking so-and-so is so far behind, they'll never catch up. I'm not alone in thinking what you said at Tribal was so shady. Like that was, that's what I feel his role is. And I, I think he does it phenomenally. 
totally. And I think it, I think it's I think Survivor is such a great show to look at from for, from a lot of different lenses that you're talking about on, on on your show. Which because like I mean I remember watching I watched the the finale of Survivor first season back in like '99 or 2000 when I was like seven years old and like I remember that yeah. moment and I remember the like the cultural moment that was but and the show has been on now for 40 seasons but it has also I think it's I think it's you know compared to like say The Bachelor I think Survivor has done a pretty de- decent job all things considered in terms of like adapting to the times and adapting to to pressures to change and whether that's belated or not and you know how do you do you, do you think do you do you share those same sentiments in terms of like you know some of these shows are lenses to like wh- where we were back in 2000 or 2010 or now 2020 like w- how do you sort of think of how they sort of reflect where we are kind of f- from when they came out absolutely I uh, totally agree I think that these shows and we explore this a little bit in the series and spectacle are time capsules of American history and they really even shows throughout their seasons show different parts of American culture totally. and I think that like I for keeping up with the Kardashians for instance it's started in 2007 now it's 2020 there is a drastic difference in how they moved about in the world for then versus now and survivor especially even the seasons of survivor like when they break broke it up into race it's like you really wouldn't do that today like Mm -hmm. that was a function of the times we were living in so I think that shows as a whole are time capsules of American history and seasons are time capsules as well Definitely. And, it, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about all these things and it's, it was pretty good timing for this interview to happen because I just listened to the most recent episode of Las Culturistas, which is another podcast uh, from Bowen Yang and Matt yeah. Rogers. And, and they had um, Sam Sanders from NPR on and he made some really amazing points just about not not reality TV specifically, but just about like pop culture in general and sort of, you know, how that plays into what we consider like hard news and how, you know, pop culture, which is encompassing of reality yeah. TV and a bunch of other things that are kind of classically considered to be things that are of interest to women and LGBTQ people and black and brown people are just dismissed by kind of the people that are in power, which are straight white, straight white men. And his point is basically like, if you really want to understand what's happening in what we consider hard news or politics or news around the world, you have to understand pop culture. You have to understand sort of how those intersect and play off yes. of one another, especially nowadays. And I'm curious if, if, if those themes are something that you encountered or were thinking about at all during your research uh, for, for this podcast. Absolutely, because I, growing up, my father and my mom, they were advocates that you can learn from media. So they were like, you will have TVs in your bedrooms and we could watch truly whatever we want. The dream, we hello. The dream, I know. <laughs> But it gets a little dodgy. We would have to discuss everything after we watched it if we wanted to watch it. And if it was like above our, you know, if it was above PG essentially. And we would have sit down seminars. Like we, my dad was a professor. Like we were in a class and we would talk about shows like Spring, MTV Spring Break. We talked about it. Wild (laughs) Things. We talked about it. Austin Powers. We talked about it. I love this. Baby Got Back. We talked about it. (laughs) Like we had to break down things sort of academically and that is what I feel we're doing in spectacle but it's a lot of fun still because the subject matter is in itself fun and exciting and I think because you have these cultural touchstones in pop culture and in reality tv specifically that really influences we just have to look at who our former president was that really influences what we're seeing on a grander scale in quote unquote hard news or politics. And it really is, if you're someone who studies 
higher brow things, what you perceive to be higher brow things, if you're right. not including pop culture, reality, TV, into your studies, you really have nothing to hang your hat on. I mean, that's very well said. And I, and I think that like, I mean, even if I just, if you just look at what's happening on The Bachelor right now in, in the entire world of The Bachelor, it's sort of like, in some ways that show is like not a reflection of, of in some ways it is a reflection of where we are as a society. In some ways it's it's incredibly behind from from where we are. By the time this episode comes out, like I I'm, I kind of think that like those things, that that storyline will have advanced. Like there's probably some new statement that's going to be coming out or and it's not going to be, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on what kind of that ongoing situation are. Because like I just said, it's sort of like, it's proof that maybe a show like The Bachelor isn't up on the times and, and it's not it's not keeping up in a way that maybe a survivor or, or another show might be. Yeah, I totally think whenever I watch like The Bachelor or Bachelorette, I'm floored by how even the look of it looks like early 2000s, no matter right. what year I'm watching it in. <laughs> and then the conversations and like the the ideals of heteronormative marriage ideals and traditional marriage and like sex before marriage is a taboo, things like that. Yeah things that are clearly have gone by the wayside in 2021. But I I think that with the current racial dynamics on The Bachelor and then, you know, the front runner being a racist, <laughs> I right. think that it shows that there are glaring gaps and or purposeful additions to the cast of people mm. who have, they think they're trying to do like a, real like a real world type thing where they would have someone from the deep south who never met a black person live with the black person for the first time but it's like trying it, it's they're out of their depth basically totally and you can't put someone who if you're doing the correct research to have someone on the show and they've struggled with having racists on the show with other black leads you would think oh maybe we'll do our due diligence a little bit you know better this year and i think that that shows that they a don't care Mm -hmm. B, want this controversy or C, are completely blind to the racial unrest that's happening happening and been happening in our country. And I think that this is hopefully will be the reckoning that the show needs to know that it's not enough to have a Black lead lead the show. You have to do the work behind the scenes as well to have your show rise to the 2021 occasion. Absolutely. And, and there's this amazing um, Instagram account called Bachelor Data that I uncovered like a week ago. And it's sort oh, of like, wow. it talks, it shows like all these graphs about basically like, okay, yeah, like they, the, the, they have never had more people of color on this show in terms of the contestants, but like the screen time they're getting is not, does not equate to that. This it, And it's like, right. It, 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 it proves your point that you just made. It's just like, it's, you know, it, it's all like very surface level and it's sort of mm -hmm. like, yeah, to some that is an advancement, but that's not enough and it's not quick enough. And it's just sort of like, you know, when you it's have crazy. people like, when you have people like Chris, yeah. like Chris Harrison at the helm, who's a producer of the show thinking these things, I think it's a combo of those three things you just outlined, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, an another show that I would love your thoughts on because, you know, I'm a reality TV buff, but I also, you know, specifically my wheelhouse has become The Real Housewives. And yeah. that it's just, I like that has just become my my world basically. And we have a lot of Real Housewives on this, on this podcast. And I would love your thoughts on sort of the evolution of Real Housewives franchise. Obviously there are a ton of different cities now in the in, in the mix. Mm -hmm. And I think as a show, it, it has also evolved in a lot of ways, but also in a lot of ways it has not. But what are your thoughts right, on how, right. on, on what sort of Real Housewives represents um, in the reality team sphere? I really think that it is like the pinnacle of success because it shows that you can have 
one, women of a certain age leading television shows and it's still very desirable, very popular. People want to watch it. Like it proves to the entertainment industry, like there is a market for these stories. Absolutely. Um, but also I think that as we've been seeing the, the, the franchises change, like we're getting more diversity on, fran- on, on uh, cities mm-hmm. that were basically predominantly white, like Beverly yeah. Hills or Dallas, but then Salt Lake City comes out of the gate with more diversity in season one, which I love to see that. I'm mm-hmm. like, yes, we could do a little better, but it's nice to see racial and body diversity out the gate and not because someone begged for it to be on the city, be, you know, on that city. But I really think that it, talk about cultural moments in American history, like they have provided <laughs> so many and there's a different conversation with, you know, the use of gifts and memes and the relation to blackface and how that for happens sure. with like Atlanta and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But I think that it is like the Mount Rushmore of reality TV, all of the reality, all the Real Housewives franchises because they they have expertly taken what's come before them and made it into something new and very unique and something that people really can't replicate. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, and, and like you just said, it's sort of like you you kind of get you kind of watch these moments unfold, and 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 it they, it feels like again sort of like this like this pinnacle, like how can they outdo themselves? And then the next season, like there's just like a moment that's even more shocking, or even more big, yeah. or even more impactful, and it's just sort of like I don't know what the limit is, I don't know what where like the end goal is, but I'm along for that ride <laughs> fully, and like I am invested. Yes, what what's your favorite Real Housewives franchise? Just out of curiosity. I would have to say, oh God, this is hard because I absolutely love Potomac. Yes. Um, Salt Lake City. Yes. Salt Lake City has my heart like out the jump. Episode (laughs) one, I thought that was one of the best pilots of any television in my entire life. My old faithfuls are New York Beverly Hills. Like, I don't know why Beverly Hills I'm just obsessed with, but that if I'm There's like some, having a bad day, I'll put on old New York or Beverly Hills and I feel amazing. I feel like it's like the New York for me gives me the comedy that I need. Beverly Hills gives me yes. like the the affluent, like unattainable drama that I like maybe need in my life. But you know, Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I've, been, I've been frustrated with Beverly Hills in recent seasons, but you know, I think, you know, the, the good old days <laughs> of that show were amazing. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of people kind of criticized the housewives for for certain things and I think if you're talking about Potomac for example you know this past season was like probably one of the most divisive seasons that I can remember just like in terms of the the discussion that that it prompted and you know there were it was very much like two sides of the coin and sort of how you kind of viewed this one incident that got physical between two of the two of the castmates when things get physical on these shows on, on housewives or on another show you know what I mean do you think that like that can be detrimental to to kind of the effect of of reality show or maybe how seriously it's taken or like when things sort of maybe like quote-unquote cross a line how do you kind of view the impact that can have I think the impact it has is well to start like in a sick way I love to see it like it is yeah it makes good it gives us the drama we want but I also feel like it gives us the drama we want. And I feel like that is someone doing their job to the fullest extent, although no one should ever get physical with anyone else. Like that's ridiculous. But I I think it does in a way make people take the shows less seriously because they're like, mm. oh, they're just fighting. They're just, you know, yelling at each other. It proves the point that these shows are simply fluff 
when that people who actually watch the shows and engage with the content know that that's not true. Totally. Kind of going off that, you know, I think I'm curious if there are any other sort of like negative impacts of a reality show that you, that you think there are, because I mean, for me, and, and I guess this is kind of like subjective if you think this is negative or not, but to me, like, obviously I think reality TV sort of laid the groundwork for our current influencer culture and everyone wanting to be famous yeah. and, and, and just like thinking that, that, that fame should be so easy to attain and it's for everyone. Are there any other sort of like kind of big picture negative effects of reality TV being so superfluous in our society that, that you kind of came across? I think the the main takeaway when we were talking to people who were on these shows um, when recording spectacle is that, like you said, it's subjective, the fame, the lingering fame that comes from the shows. Like even Norm, who was on the first season of The Real World before social media in the early mm-hmm. 90s, he's like, I still get recognized and it still affects my ability to get work. So I think that that is, if you're not seeking the Instagram followers or the FabFitFun subscription, it is a tough pill to swallow. (laughs) But if you're in it for the other bonuses to you, then it is a miraculous way to, you know, fast track yourself to an Instagram verification. But I would say it is like the double- yeah, it's double, again, it's sort of how you think about because some people, some people, one of the things you just said are sort of like that's what they want in life, you know. And to exactly. a lot of people, that's not what they want. So it's sort of what value you place on that. I'd love to kind of go through a couple shows and just get your quick kind of quick fire thoughts on them. I yeah. I tried to pick ones that you don't spotlight on Spectacle okay. to kind of to so people can do the deep dives on the other shows uh, when they listen. But Love Is Blind, a breakout from last year on Netflix. What what do you sort of think about make of that show? I loved it. I thought it was absolutely chaotic. Um, (laughs) And that's what we needed. That's what we didn't know we needed going into a pandemic. Um, I think that the concept was insane, but shockingly it had better sustained relationships than The Bachelor. So something obviously worked. Totally. That's a good point. Um, As an MTV girl, Laguna Beach and The Hills as as a duo. Love them. I love how they leaned into the fact that those shows are essentially sitcoms Um, (laughs) and that it is a fully scripted ordeal. And I think that they are, for me, feel like time capsules of my high school experience, even though they're they're older than me, but it feels like that. Totally. Especially, especially the soundtracks on those shows. That's that to me, like it brings me back. Uh, What about America's Next Top Model? Used to love it. I think it is talk about chaotic I think that it puts my favorite and least favorite episodes are the transformation episodes on top model where they completely transform the like give the girls a makeover give the girls and guys a makeover I miss shows that have that energy and I wish it it seems like it's hard to replicate and even in later seasons of America's Next Top Model they couldn't even do it so I think the good old days of top model are key yeah. And, and I think that that proves your point of the time capsule, like to a T because yes. like those episodes yeah. in, 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 in hindsight, you know, they, it, that, that show has kind of had its cultural reckoning in the past couple of years. So I think uh-huh. that kind of proves your point. What about yeah. American Idol? That, that, that was an early for me, like in, in grade school, that mm-hmm. was like the moment for me. And I'm yes. curious sort of, you know, it represents so much about, I think America, but I'm curious sort of what your, what your take on it is. That was a huge moment for me as well. I loved watching it. And I think that early seasons especially showed that 
it set the tone for a lot of competition shows moving forward. Um, and people haven't been able to replicate its success in the early seasons. Like we don't really know the names of current American Idol winners. Right. Um, but seeing the Claudia Conway in her, her audition recently made me feel that it's a bit more sinister than we thought think. Mm. And that to me was saddening and hard to watch. Yeah. yeah that made me think of something which is like, like, like you just said, we have all these huge stars from the early American Idol seasons, not the recent seasons. And honestly, none from The Voice, none from The Voice, which is like exactly. the show that that sort of like took the mantle from, from American Idol. And to me, that brings up this idea of like, sort of like a false promise that some of these shows give, mm-hmm. you know, you, you get money from them and you get a record deal, but there's no promising that you're actually going to become a star. What do you make exactly. of that? Because, because that's been my biggest complaint about The Voice is like, yeah, I love watching the emotional blind auditions and the re- really great vocal performances. But at the end of the day, like, I, I can't name that many contestants who were on that show. I like, I used to watch The Voice and I had to stop simply because of that reason. Because I'm like, there's nothing that, the fun stops with the finale. Whereas yeah. old school American Idol, the fun kept going. We're still having fun with Kelly Clarkson. We're still yeah. having fun with Kelly Pickler. Like, we're still having fun with Jennifer Hudson. I can't say that for people on The Voice. And, like, that to me is where I have a disconnect with the show because, they're, like you said, they're not building on its promise. Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, wrapping up, I, you know, I, 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 an idea that I think that kind of a lot of this ties back into is just in terms of, like, taking reality shows seriously and really kind of proving that they're worth examining and, and looking back at the history of, is that representation matters on a lot of these shows? And and it's sort of like, like, I just think about the people that I would see on some of these shows growing up. And like, yeah, sometimes I would see people that reminded me of myself. And sometimes I didn't, you know, I'm white. So I, I, I saw a lot more of that. But I'm curious, sort of like, in what ways does, does, do reality shows prove that idea that re- that representation matters and that we have to take that seriously? Because, you know, again, it's, it's something that we're still talking about in terms of the casting on these shows and whether that is is fair or not fair or who's in charge of that that aspect of it because I, and i'm sure you uncovered some of that kind of with your research um on this on spectacle uh, i'm curious again what your thoughts are i think i totally agree with you that representation does matter in these shows and even if we're talking about this season of the bachelor where i did see more women of color who looked like me they weren't getting as much screen time. So I think that there's a, it is a ripple effect of like, or not even a ripple effect. It's a sort of like stilted domino effect of like one thing has to fall for the next one to fall into place as well. And we're not seeing that happen as quickly as I would like to. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's like baby steps and even on shows like Potomac or Atlanta, I love seeing all these black women on screen, but why do we have to be, segregated like that totally yeah totally Mm -hmm. that's something that I think needs to be fixed as well so I I feel like there are high points and low points in terms of the representation that we're seeing on reality tv today for sure um well Mariah you know before I let you go I want to I want to know a show that you have been recently that you're recommending to friends that is not that is not unscripted that is scripted like what what's what is a scripted show that that you are that you've been loving recently and that you've been telling people to watch? Um, I'm going to sound so basic, but Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> really? Okay. Yes, All 17 seasons or whatever? Time. Yes. Yeah. Wow. How long I did that take? It during the pandemic. Okay. It took me, it didn't take me long, which is the sad <laughs> part, but it was, 
as people say, season one of the pandemic when I had a lot more time on my hands. Right. We were all figuring out how to do this. So I would say that or my old faithfuls are NCIS and SVU. Okay. I am an old woman. Love that. Heart. No, I love that for you. I am, I'm, I'm loving yeah. it. Um, and, and lastly, last year, a lot of things didn't go right. A lot of it, like there was a lot that went wrong last year and it was a hard year for a lot of people. And so this year I'm trying to just sort of like think more positively and, th- and think about things that I, that I want to look forward to. And I'm curious for you, what is something that you're excited about or looking forward to in 2021? I'm excited to see my family. My parents just got their first dose of the vaccine. So I'm like, that made me very happy and excited to be like, oh my God, it's getting closer to the point where I can see them. I had, yeah. haven't seen them in almost like a year and a half, wow. which is unheard of for us. So I'm very excited just to see my family and see more of the world and enjoy more of the world once we're set free. Love it. Same. Um, well, Mariah, <laughs> thank you so much. This was so fun. Where can people follow you and listen to, to Spectacle after listening to this? Um, you can listen to Spectacle anywhere you get your podcast. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Mariah, M-R-I-A-H, or at on Instagram at Mariah, 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 M-A-R-I-A-H. Um, and then you can listen to me on Sirius XM Radio Andy every Friday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern on my show, Smith Sisters Live. Awesome. Well, this was so fun. It was so, it was so fun to just like pick your brain about all things reality TV. This is this is the dream. Thank so you. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Talk to you later. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. For more celebrity interviews, subscribe to We Should Talk on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us as any show of support you can give us would be greatly appreciated. You can follow me at Gibsonoma on Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow In The Know at In The Know on Twitter and at Watch In The Know on Instagram. We'll talk to you next time.